back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts. Here's my friend Chavruta Aaron Gordon. Our daf today, Masachah Bavakama, Daf Lamed Hay, page 35. Yesterday, we discussed a Mishnah that drew some distinctions between whether an animal or a person did the damage. And there were some cases that does the damage. There's no payment that's going to be given to the damaged party. Some cases where a person does the damage, and there's also not going to be any damages paid out to the damaged party. And, you know, and you and I, what does that do for the damaged party? You know, they still were damaged, um, but, you know, it, there are some distinctions based on intent, based on who caused the damage and things like that. There's a brace here right before this rather long mission that I'm going to read that gets into a little bit of the discussion about intent. Um, and it's within the context of a larger discussion about Rabbi Yochanan's understanding, um, uh, Rabbi Yochanan's understanding of our Mishnah. Um, and it reads as following, So this was something that was taught in the academy in the Yeshiva of Chizkiah. So there's, uh, you know, a, an analogy that's basically given between somebody who strikes a person, right? And that person actually would be executed and not pay monetary damages. And somebody who strikes an animal, where it, where instead what you do is you pay monetary damages. So this is quoting Basuk from Vayikra, chapter 24, verse 21, that says, Right? One who strikes an animal pays for it. One who strikes a person and kills them is put to death. So in other words, if you kill an animal, you pay money. If you kill a person, you're put to death. Just as somebody who strikes an animal, you, there's no distinguishing between if it was done inadvertently, right, b'shogeg, or deliberately, right, between an intentional act or an unintentional act, whether it was done with a downward blow or an upward blow, um, uh, right, to exempt him from paying uh, money in these cases. Rather, what, what this pasu comes to tell us is, is that no matter how it's done, okay, uh, she's always, you know, you're just going to have to pay the money. So too, with a person, right, if you kill a person, there's no distinction made between whether it was a bishogeg act or a bimezid act. Whether it was an intentional act or an unintentional act, whether it was with a downward blow or an upward blow, rather, he's going to be exempt from paying money in all of these uh, in all these cases. Because once you're liable for the death penalty, right, which would only be the case if one kills deliberately or with intent, right, or you would be liable for exile, right, if this was done sort of accidentally. But the Brysa here is trying to draw this comparison between striking a person and striking an animal, that when somebody strikes a person and kills him, you are exempt from monetary uh, payment. There's no compensation that you have to give, and that's based on uh, and that's based on this and that's based on this pasuk. Um, and so the idea here is is that our Mishnah, right, which talks about somebody who set fire to a stack of you know straw on Shabbat, is also exempt for paying um, because you know um, uh, even though 
right? He may not need, you know, it, 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 it's, he's still exempt from paying. So they need to explain this. So they're going to give a little bit more explanation. But I thought this was just an interesting brisa because it gets into the issue of intention, right? Or accidental death versus purposeful death. And I, you know, the part, part of the brisa is, is that here it's sort of words yesterday, we drew a distinction by saying like, you know, if you're damaged, yeah, the person, the person who's damaged is like, hey, I'm damaged. But depending on who and the circumstances, you may or may not get money here, you know, they're also sort of making that parallel, right? They're acknowledging that, um, you know, we kind of don't pay attention to what the intention was. Humans are not going to have to pay money when there is, you know, when death is the result. You will have to pay money when the death is the result uh, to an animal. So I think we just sort of see, I, I don't know, I, I felt like there's a link between this mission and this Brisa in terms of thinking a lot about intention. I don't think we fully have discussed this topic and I think we're going to see more about it. Um, but it's interesting to see that like intention doesn't seem to factor in here uh, according to this Brisa. I think also we see that intention is going to show up in, you know, all kinds of ways of topics from from intent in brachot and mitzvot, right? Meaning, and this is obviously very different. This This is you know, what kind of act have you done dependent on your intention? But the fact that it then pertains to the damages, I think, is particularly interesting. And again, like, you know, for, for somebody else's dissertation, they can go talk about all the very various different ways intent um, has application within halacha. Yes, I, I, I would agree with that. OK, so now we're going to have a very long Mishnah, uh, which reads as follows. Shor shayar so one ox is pursuing another ox, the huzak, and the ox that's being chased later has some damage to it. And so the damage, the owner of the damaged ox says, your ox did the damage. And the owner of the ox that was chasing the other ox says, no, it injured itself on the rock, meaning it scratched itself or tripped over a rock. It did something to itself on a rock while it was being chased, but it's not from the ox itself. The burden of proof rests on the one who wants to get money from his fellows. So, in other words, the damage, the owner of the damaged ox needs to bring the needs to bring the proof. Let's say there's two ox, each belonging to a different person, chasing after another ox. Um, right, and and that third that third ox, you know, obviously gets injured. Right, and the owner of one ox says, your ox is the one that did the damage. And the owner of the other ox says, your ox is the one that did the damage. The Mishnah says, they're both exempt. If they're both belong to the same person, then they're both uh, liable. Now, the Gemara is going to have to explain, what do you mean by they're owned by the same person? If one of the ox was large and one was small, and the damaged party says the large ox did the damage, and the damager says, no, it was the small one that did the damage, or let's say one ox was Tom and one ox was Muad, and the damaged party says it's the Muad one that did the damage, and the damager says, no, it was the damaged one. And remember, it makes a difference because Muad, you would collect full damages. Tom, you would only collect half damages. 
So the burden of proof is going to be on the damaged party because that's the person who wants to gain the money. So up until now, we've been talking about where one ox is being chased by two. Now we're going to do where two ox are chased. They're both injured, but it's not no who was who was actually injured, right? So the case is Hayuan Nizikim Shnayim. If there were two oxen, one large and one small, and the damages were also two. So it's two ox chasing two ox, and one was large and one was small. So you had a big ox and a little ox chasing a big ox and a little ox. The damaged party says the large one damaged the large one, the small one damaged the small one. Right, the damager says no. Rather, the small ox damaged the large one and the large one the small one. One ox was tam, one was muad. And the damaged party says the muad one damaged the large ox and the tam one the small one. Remember, this is all going to change what's actually owed the damaged party. He, right, the damager says no. Right, he reverses it and says the tam hurt the gadol, the muad the katan. In both of these cases, the burden of proof is on the person who wants to seek the money. Okay, and so the basic idea of this mishnah is is that if there's a question about who did the damage, right, and the damaged party wants to claim some form of damage, the damaged party is the one who has to actually prove all of this as opposed to the damager. So I think that this idea of that the burden of proof is upon the one who wants to exact money, we've seen this before, right? Although perhaps maybe not in as babakama-ish as a context, right? I feel like this is, this is where it is. This is monetary claims against each other, right? And then um, I, the other thing I want to say just on the Mishnah is that this concept of low-key, Right, like it's low, meaning not, and key because or but rather, right? This idea that I have a different scenario that's really what happened, but we've got a very nice abbreviation, so to speak, shorthand for talking about it. Um, and I think that also is relevant in this context of like who's bringing, I mean, relevant, of course, is relevant, right? The idea that somebody's bringing a claim against another and then they want to defend themselves or. Again, it's not really a matter of defense. It's a matter of switching the, switching the story to say that there's a different level of obligation in place. So when we come to the Gemara here on this long Mishnah, So this this comes brings us back to Sumchus. We talked about him some time ago, where Sumchus says in general, right, as a principle, that when you have here the amar mamon hamutal besafek chokin, when you have property that is, it's not that there's a dispute over who owns it, you divide the property, right? As opposed to adjudicating and awarding it to one person, uh, Sumchu says no, no, divide the property, fine. But that means that everybody else who says all these other kinds of rules to say how you determine who would be the the final owner, the winner, so to speak, uh, is disagreeing with Sumchus. So he says, says, So he wants to know, does Sumchus actually say that you divide the property even when you have one person's like absolute certain claim 
Vari, meaning it's not it's not questionable. He says this is mine, right? Or against another person's certain claim, Vari versus Bari. Vari meaning certain, right? It's clear. As compared to we talked also about Shema, right? Shema is ah, there's there's a, some question um, in in general in in the scenario. So the question is, what does Sumchus say to this? Amar in yes, he does. Even in a case, Amar Sumchus afilu bari bari. Even in a case where there's a certain claim against a certain claim, meaning just get rid of that kind of dispute. We're going to divide this. I feel like a little bit. It's like parents who come to adjudicate children's play and say, I don't care that this is not, you know, going back to the original scenario. We're going to divide this, and everybody just make your peace with it. So then the question is, how is it that we can infer from the Mishnah that the Mishnah, what you've just read here, Dana, is in fact talking about Bari of Bari, that is absolute certain claims against one against another. The Katani, Ze Omer, Shorcha Hizik, Ze Omer, Loki, it's certain claims because one person says definitively, right, your ox injured my ox, and that the owner of that ox says, no, rather, meaning nobody's saying, huh? maybe, or I thought it was something else, right? One says, this is what happened, and the other says, this is not what happened, something else happened, and they're both definitive. Matkif la Rav Papa, Midoresha Baru Vari. Rav Papa says, well, let's look at that then as the first part of the Mishnah, talking about Baru Bari, certain claim against a certain claim, right? But then the second case, and because you have that in the in the first case, Seif and Nami Baru Bari. You can then infer that that will apply to the second case of the Mishnah, which is maybe more debatable because it's less definitively stated, but let's just apply it all the way through. But then the Gemara, of course, has a question. Hey, Masefa, if you want to say, that the, what's the latter case? You have one that's large and one that's small. So that what happens is that the injured person, meaning the owner of the injured animal, says the large ox caused the damage. And the person whose stuff has been damaged, no, the other way around, the person who's liable for the damage, mazikomer, low-key, meaning, no, it's not the large animal that caused the damage, ella, rather, katan hisik, rather, the small one caused the damage. And then the Gemara goes on to say, well, you know, or if you would have a case of tam versus muad, one that is, you know, again, has the history of goring or not, Nizikomer muad hizik, mazikomer low-key. So the person who was damaged said it was the muad ox that did, did the damage, and the one responsible or liable for the de- property damage says low-key. No, rather, ella tam hizik. It was really the tam, the, you know, the no-history animal that did the damage. So at the end, we conclude, right, or the Mishnah really concluded, that these this is where... You know, if you wanna if you wanna get your money, you have to prove that your story, that your scenario is in fact what happened. Ha lo mighty raya. But then what that means then is that if he did not bring a proof, right? Shakil kid amar mazik. It means that if, if the person who if the nizak, if the person who wants to wants to, you know, exact money from his from the owner of the damaging animal, wants can't, doesn't bring a proof, right? He wants to to exact this money, but he doesn't bring a proof. What that means, tachlis, right? Like the bottom line is that the claim as established by the one who is responsible for paying is what is upho- is what is upheld. Name it to have it to you to the rabbi But so then the question is, 
Oh, so let's just say, right? So that, and then he would just pay that, and that would be fine. The question then is, does this refute the position of Rabbi Barnatan? The case of Rabbi Barnatan has nothing to do with oxen, right? It's really a talking about somebody who says, you owe me wheat. And the person who does the owing says, I don't owe you wheat, I owe you barley. Meaning, yes, I owe you something, but what I owe you actually costs less than the thing that you say that I owe you. So then, you know, what's going to happen in that case? Rabbi Barnatan said that he should be exempt, meaning... He only he doesn't have to and not only does he not have to pay the for the wheat, it may be that he doesn't have to pay for any anything at all because he didn't admit to what was claimed, right? And therefore he meaning he doesn't agree that he had to pay the wheat. So then he doesn't have to pay the barley because he's not being he's not being sued or whatever to pay the barley. Um so then the question is here in the case of the the two different scenario versions of the two oxen. Perhaps you could say, when, like, let's say this way. The Gemara says that the payment would go according to the mazik, according to the one who has to actually pay the payment, which seems to argue against Rabbi Barnatan, who said, you're exempt from paying. Here you would say, no, you have to pay what you claim you actually owe. Ella bari v'shema. So then the Gemara goes on. And I think actually I'm going to stop here because it gets much more complicated when we talk about when you have a certain claim and an uncertain claim. Meaning one person says, this is what happened. And the other one says, it's possible that what I'm saying is what happened. But in general, we do say, bari v'shema, if you have two claims against each other, bari adif, that the one who is certain is going to be, um, you know, it's going to win because it's got a stronger claim than the shema, than the uncertain claim. But I don't want to, in the interest of time, we're not going to delve into it more today. I'm sure it'll come up again in any case. Look, I, I think what this staff is dealing with is that we know often in these cases, you know, there's sort of like one party claims one thing and one party claims another thing. And where does the burden of proof lie? How do you prove these types of things when it's really sort of one claim and against another? I, I do wor- wonder, you know, in today's world where things are so documented, would that still be true? It's probably not as true today. I think you would just have a much harder, cl- harder, like, you wouldn't succeed as well to make your proof if it weren't proof. Like, let, let me say this better. I, I feel like nowadays with all the documentation and video and everything like that, if you're not tampering with something, then you're going to have a harder time making a case that isn't what appears to be in like whatever is recorded. Right. So then maybe it makes it easier to say, Bari Ubari, you've got a certain case versus a certain case. One of them is going to be upheld as certain and one of them is just going to be knocked down. Like you weren't in the place that you said you were. We're not going to, we can't pretend. Right. We can't pretend. Exactly. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.